Okay, I'm going to get right to it. Today we're reading Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. And as I read this, I want to see if you can pay attention and notice something. Um, I don't always remember how to define the word irony. Uh, I see something and I think it's ironic, but I know there's like a little grammatical thing to that. Maybe it's not. There's something weird that happens in this passage. I'm going to read it. I want to see if you can recognize it. All right, you up for the challenge? All right, let's pray and then we'll read. Father God, so grateful. Um, Grateful the way that you call each of us to your service. Grateful for the chance to celebrate faithful service done in your name. Grateful for the way that you call all of us into this place to be brothers and sisters, to gather around your word, to hear the gospel proclaimed week after week because we desperately need the reminder. So I pray today as your scripture is read, as the gospel is proclaimed, that you would open our minds, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we could receive it. And pray that you would remind us that we are now the vehicles for this good word to go out into the world. Use our hands, use our feet, use our mouths when necessary. Give us the good work to do and the words to say so that we can honor and glorify you and just tell others just how much you love them. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, Mark 2, starting in verse 23. Mark writes this, and it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along, picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then in chapter 3, he entered a synagogue again, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they were watching him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with a withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might put him to death. This is the word of the Lord. So, we have a debate about working on the Sabbath. And did you notice the irony? Jesus never did any work. (laughs) He never lifted a finger. He never did a thing. His disciples were the ones who were picking the grain. Jesus didn't even touch the man with the withered hand. What did he do? He just spoke. He said, come here told the man to stretch out his own hand and the man was healed. Jesus never did any work. 
All right, so if I were to ask you what the point of these stories, that you may be tempted to answer, the Sabbath is the point, working on the Sabbath. That Jesus and the religious leaders are fighting about what you're allowed to do on the Sabbath day, the commanded day of rest. Well, what am I gonna say next? That's not the point. <laughs> now the Sabbath, it is an important part of the story. It's the setting, it's the focus of the debate But Mark gives us these two stories for another reason. He's challenging us to consider the difference between man-made religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, to better understand the story, it is helpful to know a couple of things about the Sabbath. So let me just show you this really quickly. Uh, This is from Exodus 20. Uh, The Sabbath command is the fourth out of the 10 commandments. And God commands his people to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy But then he tells us why. In verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That command is grounded in a story. It's grounded in the creation story. In God's own pattern of work and rest. Y'all, Was God tired after creation? Did he need to rest? Did he need to stretch it out over six days? Is it possible that he's teaching something? But that's not the only place in the Old Testament where we find the Ten Commandments. They show up again in Deuteronomy 5, and Deuteronomy 5 repeats the command, but gives us a totally different reason. It says this, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Okay, so really quickly. um, I love scripture. You see things in it you've never seen before every time you read it. So when I read this in the last service, I saw something I'd never seen before. So in between services, I went to check the language to make sure this was right. So there's two stories, both about the Sabbath. The first story dealt with what? Picking grain, working the field, maintaining creation. In the second story, what does he tell the man to do? Stretch out your arm. Remember how the Lord saved you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Jesus is thinking of both of these stories. Mark is thinking of both of these stories as he writes. One command. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, but it's set in the context of two different stories, both in the Old Testament and here in Mark. The creation of the world and the freedom of God's people from slavery. In light of that, simple question. Did God intend for the Sabbath to be a blessing and a gift or a burden? You can say it out loud, it's okay, yeah. We're Presbyterian, but you're allowed to speak. It's all right. It's a blessing. It's a gift. Y'all, Scripture commands us to work. Listen, Scripture wants us to work. In fact, six days of good hard work, according to Scripture. But then it commands us to take a day to rest. To rest in the goodness of creation, in the promise now of our freedom in Christ. To rest even in the satisfaction of the work that we do the good work that God created us to do. Listen, when you have worked really hard at a specific task and you finished it, 
For those of you who are retired back in your work life or maybe something that you're doing even now, when you finished a hard job and you did it and you did it well, how do you feel? That's Sabbath. That's Sabbath. That feeling of knowing that was good and I'm done. And now I can sit in it until the next work begins. The question is, the question is, what is work? <laughs> and that's the problem. Because unfortunately, the Old Testament never clarifies what it means to work on the Sabbath. It's so frustrating. There's one verse where it says, don't start a fire. That's it. <laughs> it never clarifies what work on the Sabbath actually is. So over the centuries, the rabbis, um, industriative, industrious as they are, ready to work, they got busy and they defined it for us. Uh, they defined it for everyone. They defined it for God. <laughs> and over a thousand years, by the time we get to Jesus, y'all, everything was work. You see, Jesus was apparently violating their definition of work, even by not working. Jesus wasn't violating God's law. He was reminding them that it was meant to be a blessing, not a burden. And when the religious leaders realized what, would happen, what was happening, when they realized that they could no longer lord this authority over the people, they were ready to have him killed. Jesus was a threat not to their faith. He was a threat to their power and their authority over others. In Matthew 5, Jesus, he addresses this accusation that he's dismissive of the law, that he came to end the law. He says this, he says, don't presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. I think this is something really important for churches today to understand. Y'all, it's not as if there are no rules. It's not like now that we're saved, anything goes. That's called cheap grace. And God's grace is costly. He finds us lost and broken, but he refuses to leave us that way. There are still expectations. We are called to a life of obedience. Jesus is not asking us to throw out our traditions and our practices. He's just asking us to consider, why do we do it? He didn't come to say anything goes. He's not dismissing the law. He's completing it. And in doing so, he's showing us that there's another way to live. That there's a way to live this life where you can find a deep rest from your work here on earth. That you can gain a deep peace when you learn to trust in God. A deep peace, a deep rest. When you have the confidence of knowing that you'll be by his side forever. Jesus didn't come to make things easy, y'all. He came to make things right. And what these stories reveal is that there was a tragic change in God's people. What was intended to be a gift, a blessing rooted in a relationship with God, over time it transformed into something else. A beautiful relationship transformed into man-made religion. 
Let me read you this. This comes from uh, Tim Keller's book that I've mentioned, Jesus the King. He says this. He says, imagine two people both trying to obey the law of God, yet they operate from two opposing paradigms. They both want to keep the Sabbath day, but in one case, the obedience is a burden, an enslavement, while in the other, it's a delight. It's a gift. It's the same law. So how can that be? Because one paradigm is religion and the other is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those are two completely different things. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Religion is advice, which is why it's not very effective because advice can just be ignored. So religious people then take the advice of man and turn it into the rules of man. Because if advice can just be ignored, then man-made religion will create rules that they can enforce. And those rules come with both rewards and with threats. Religion is quick to offer you the reasons why you should comply. But it always ends up sounding something like this. If I, then I'll be. If I obey, then I'll be forgiven accepted, loved. Like, do you see the problem? Like, if I'm good enough, then I'll be forgiven and loved. Or put it negatively, if, I'm, if I don't obey, if I'm bad, then I'll be condemned. That's religion. A system where good people are in and bad people are out. Like anyone who has ever asked the question, why would God send good people to hell? Y'all, that question is rooted in a false premise. It's rooted in religion, as if there's a way to measure whether somebody is good enough. Like this is the difference between religion and the gospel. In religion, who is doing the work that will either save or condemn me? Who's the one responsible for the work? Me. If I'm good enough, then I can get love and acceptance. If I obey, then I can get close to God. If I, then I get. And y'all, this is dangerous because it quickly turns into something else. If I obey, then I'll be rewarded. I'll get that promotion. I'll find that special someone. I won't have to suffer because I've been good. You can see how this happens within us. When I choose to obey, like when I follow the rules day in, day out, what happens after I've done all that work? Well, now I've got expectations. I did the work. It's time to get paid. It should give me certain rights. I not only begin to expect the promotion, the special someone, freedom from suffering, I not only expect it, now I have a right to it because I did the work. I have a right to certain blessings because I've earned them. I've done the work. That's the problem with religion. It's rules that lead to rights, a sense of entitlement. That is not the gospel. And what happens when the blessings don't come, but when suffering comes instead? You see, the gospel says just the opposite. The gospel says, I've been given the gift of salvation through no work of my own. So I receive that gift and obey. 
I will follow the rules as a response to God's love for me, not because I think I can earn it. The gospel says I'm already forgiven and loved. So then I will live in grateful obedience. Can you see the difference? And can I tell you some good news? <laughs> like, do you know why you're loved? Some of you have heard me say this a million times. Do you know why you're loved? It's not because you're good. It's not because you've earned it. It is not because you deserved it. You are loved simply because he has chosen to love you. He doesn't have to love you. He didn't have to die for you. But he does and he did. And y'all, that's really good news. Jesus didn't come to make things easy. He also didn't come to make things hard. Jesus came to make things right. And that is really good news. But y'all, we need to come to worship every week to be reminded of this because, because I'm not sure that the church totally gets it. Like the spirit of the Pharisee, the scribe, the teacher of the law, it is alive and well in the church today. And we have got to pay close attention, close attention to the ways that we get caught up in man-made religion when we should be basking in the glory of this good news. Let me give you two quick examples. One will make you mad at another church and the other one might hit home a little bit. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, last week I had the chance to meet uh, with a woman. She's the area coordinator of this global discipleship ministry, really well-known ministry. And she was telling me how challenging it's been for her to connect with local churches, churches in our area. And I apologized immediately. I was like, I know pastors, like we can be the worst. Like we've got our own plans. You know, somebody comes to us with some outside program. We don't return calls or emails. I'm so sorry. And she said, no, it's actually not that. She said, that's true, but <laughs> that's not the problem. She said that she was visiting a church um, and they immediately turned her away. They refused to work with her. They refused to work with a ministry that would allow a woman to speak on its behalf. They won't work with a ministry that puts a woman in any position of leadership. Scripture doesn't teach that, y'all. Those are man-made rules. But wait, there's more. Uh, she went to another church that was willing to meet with her. But only after first, she went home and changed her clothes because she showed up wearing jeans. And they would only meet with her after she went home and changed into something more appropriate for a woman, a dress. Now look, I don't care what you expect of your own people, even if that's what they expect of their own people, is that the hospitality of Jesus Christ? Is that how we welcome others into his church? And y'all, listen, these are just symptoms. Like those are symptoms of a deeper disease. Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, they are people who turn God's word into a burden. People who turn gospel into religion. And we play that Pharisee game when we start to write the rules. When we begin to place ourselves in the judgment seat, declaring who's in and who's out, who's bad, who's good. When, when I'm more focused on your sin than I am on confessing my own? When I spend more time worrying about the behavior of others than I do remembering the sinful life that God is delivering me from? I'm playing the same game. 
You know, we can't allow the spirit to thrive in or define Jesus's church. The church is the place where sick and dying people come to find healing and hope. That's who we are. That's what we offer. A place for the sick and dying to come and find new life, to find family. We are doctors and nurses and patients in a hospital. We are not lawyers and judges fighting it out in our own courtrooms. All right, that's the one that should make you mad at other churches. It's fine. <laughs> Beyond being judgmental, you know, there's a religious spirit that presents itself in us in another way, and I'm pretty sure that everybody here is familiar with it. I know I am. When something tragic has happened to you, like when you've experienced suffering in one form or another, how many of you have asked yourself the question, why me? How many of you have asked God, why did you allow this to happen to me? I'm a good person. I followed the rules. Rules give me rights. I've earned it. Look, it's understandable. I think it's our nature to ask that question, but asking why me, it's another sign that we are turning to religion to save us rather than the gospel. We're turning to our own work rather than the work that we could not do on our own. And I'm telling you, this one, this one can destroy us from the inside out. Because when we sit in that question, why me? Why did you allow this to happen to me? What does that lead to? Bitterness, anger, disillusionment. It leads to more suffering. The truth, scripture tells us, none of us are good enough, that we don't deserve anything from God. Some of you may be familiar with this. We call it the Romans road. It starts in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all sinners. None of us are worthy. We deserve nothing. But we have been given everything. We come here to be reminded that we are loved simply because he chose to love us. And that means that this gospel, that salvation, it is simply a gift. It can never be earned. All you can do is receive it. Can you see the difference between religion and the gospel? Religion is advice in the form of rules that gives me rights the gospel is a gift of grace and it compels me to live with obedient gratitude. Amen? If you notice a little alliteration in that, Bill Ford gets the credit. He, you know. um, in Jesus the King, Tim Keller, he talks about a movie, uh, Chariots of Fire. Um, how many of you have seen it familiar with the movie? Um, I'm, I'm gonna read what he said because if I'm totally honest, this is one of those movies that I totally know the music, but I'm not super familiar with the movie itself. Like, like some of you are with Star Wars? <laughs> Sinners. 
He says this, he says, uh, Chariots of Fire is the story of two runners at the Paris Olympics in 1924. The movie contrasted Harold Abrahams with Eric Liddell. Uh, Liddell was a Christian and he refused to run on the Sabbath. As a result, he lost the chance for a gold medal in a race he was favored to win. Abrahams and Liddell were both trying very hard to win gold medals. But Abrahams was doing it out of the need to prove himself. At one point, he even said this, I only have 10 seconds to justify my existence on earth. Liddell, on the other hand, he simply wanted to please the God who had already accepted him. That's why he says this famous line to his sister. He says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Harold Abrahams was weary, even when he was physically rested. Eric Liddell was rested, even when he was running faster than anybody else. One of them performed to justify his existence. The other one rested in the acceptance of his father. So why do you do it? Why do you worship? Why do you give? Why are you obedient to the rules? Why do you start a ministry at a church and give us one year and stay for 12? (laughs) Listen, if you're doing it because you're trying to be good enough so that you can be saved, like for those of you that are, for those of you who have been relying on on religion, on your own goodness to save you, Listen, I've got some good news for you, but you're not gonna like it. (laughs) It's brutal, but it's good and it's biblical. You will never be good enough. You will never be good enough, but you are loved, which means that you can rest. You can stop trying. Y'all, the fact that you'll never be good enough, it sounds harsh, but it's the best news because it means that you can stop trying to earn salvation. You can rest in the gift that's been given to you. And then you trust the Holy Spirit to do the transforming work that follows. A friend of mine reminded me yesterday, we are constantly working. We are building towers to try to reach the heavens. Jesus came down instead. And what did he say? It is finished. The work has been done. You can rest. Let me just read this, it's short and I'll end. Uh, This comes from the message. This is Jesus in Matthew 11. And to be totally honest with you, I probably could have just read this and saved y'all 20 minutes. But um, this this really sums it up. Um, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Then come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced Rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus has not come to make things easy. That's cheap grace. He has not come to make things hard. That's the burden of man-made religion. Jesus has come to make things right. That's the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that you call brothers and sisters together each week.
to remind us of these truths. That no matter how hard we try, we can never do the work that Christ did on our behalf. But the truth is we live in, we live in a world where we earn things. So it's actually really hard for us to receive gifts. Um, sometimes we don't like it. I imagine, I imagine God chuckling every time he watches us in the line at Starbucks <laughs> when somebody bought my coffee and I can't just receive it, I gotta buy coffee for the person behind me. <laughs> we don't know how to receive, so be our teacher. Show us, heal us, make us whole, and then put us to work. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.